You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. where on this episode we're talking about the low album Trust. Now, before we get into this episode, just need to clear a little thing up, and that is what happened last week. Well, my metal fans, where are you? you? You didn't turn out numbers for this one. This is probably our lowest voting episode so far, but because of that, the public have decided that at the gates, Slaughter of the Soul does make it into a discography, so thank you very much to all of you who listened and to all of you who voted. Now let's crack on, where we talk about Trust by Low. Hi, I'm Rose Mark Fraser and I'm joined by two closeted racists. <laughs> closeted. Uh, to I'm my not a gay racist. <laughs> to my right I have the man that taught Ringo drums. It's Chris Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> to my left, uh Dave Weaver is dressed in a lovely red, white and blue motif uh, purely to try and curry favour on the south side of Glasgow, I think. Mm-hmm. That's me. Maybe Always it's not on the so for, On the lookout for the Paraguayan nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> as Mark says, in those colours, maybe it's not as closet <laughs> as some might think. But that's divisive, so we wouldn't get into that. No, we, no, we don't talk about divisive stuff ever. Ever. So on this episode, we are talking about trust by law. Is that divisive? You're about to tell me, Chris. It's just <laughs> I, right. I, I can't get the feeling from the expressions that it's not that divisive, which is encouraging because I chose it. Yeah. So, so why? Why did I choose this? Yeah. Uh, because this is a podcast about music and you put me in the spot. Uh, and I was like, well, I want to try and be positive because I, I felt maybe recently I've been a wee bit down on a couple of things. So, yeah, uh, I was like, what's a record that maybe goes under most people's radar? Uh, the band do get some attention, but sometimes because I've got quite a big back catalogue it's hard to know where to start especially if you've heard about them and you're like I'll check these guys out and also just to kind of cut to the chase because their more recent output isn't as good as this kind of golden era they went through of maybe like three or four albums in a row and so you know for the sake of people that have heard the name and are maybe wondering what's a good way to find out if I actually do like this band uh, this is this album for me is the is the epitome although maybe not the best access point but we'll get to that how did you find out about them? I found out about them through a friend who was a huge fan and she switched me on to them and I, I, I kind of had this stuff for a while and I, I didn't really give it a listen until, coincidentally, the first time I ever took a flight or the first time since I think I was about six weeks old that I took a flight so the first time I can remember taking a flight and I think I was just approaching the Pyrenees I was on my own as well, you know, and I'd been pretty apprehensive about the whole thing and uh, it was a beautiful, clear, sunny day and I was approaching the Pyrenees in, you know, winter 
and started listening to this album, and phew, boom, that was it. This and album's not made for clear in. days. I well, listened to it in the car the other day, and it was just amazing at night. Just yeah, I mean, it's good for curb crawling as well. But <laughs> <laughs> so you do your time. We talk about divisive eyes. So it's quiet, so it tends not to give your position away, especially if you've got your headlights off. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're implying, sir. <laughs> That's a nice shot you're wearing. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I thought since everyone else is wearing plaid, I would avoid that. Yeah. That's a real danger. Weaver, did you like this record? I did like this yeah. record. Um, although, I don't know, it annoyed me a little bit after a while. Like, so, I, I, I knew of Low, and I think, yeah, I've heard them in, you know, bits and bobs, but I've never got stuck into a record like this. And listening to this record, I then went back and sort of listened to a couple other records. Um, one thing... I sort of just went online and, like, why did Chris choose this record, you know, over the others? Did you ask Google? <laughs> I was like, why? And I asked Jeeves. And he was like, oh, is that Chris guy still sticking around? Um, and I, I think what I got from a lot of people talking about Low as a band, I mean, Low are a band that are basically a sort of genre in themselves. You sound like Low. Um, yeah. You know, they're part of that slow core movement but like you know low sound like low um and a lot of people just fall in love with the first low album that they listen to like i think that that was what i was getting from a lot of people discussing low records and maybe i went into this record having heard bits of low before and i think i'd maybe heard like earlier stuff that wasn't as lush as this and wasn't as you know produced and I was just like, oh, it's actually a lot clearer. I was just expecting something a bit more, I don't know. Do you remember which of the other albums you, you um, Well, I went... They're quite, quite different as you progress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really liked... Did you go as far back uh, as, like, Long Division or any of that kind of Dinosaur stuff? Dinosaur Act. Oh, that's the album prior to this one, so... Yeah, Dinosaur Act was, like, a track from the Albini record before. Things We Lost in the Fire. And I was like, yeah. He did two albums with him, and that was the second one. And it was that up to a point that was like the definitive song by Low Dinosaur. Yeah. It was the most recognisable. So, like for me, this record, <laughs> I don't know the, everything about it. I'm not like everything about it is beautiful. It's quiet and gentle and lovely. Not all of it. Uh, overall, of it. I haven't seen all of it either. No, but like I don't know. It's very compared to Meshuggah. Yeah, well, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what, this is the standard I'm judging things from. Um, but. Let David I, formulate his thoughts. <laughs> what did No, there was a lot of a lot of the melodies that they kept going back to were beautiful, and then I was like, "Oh, have, have I heard it before?" And then the next track, because you know a lot of their tracks are just like you know one sort of thing repeat, uh, you know, a repeated motif, motif or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that they particularly stretched themselves throughout this record. And I mean, I know that's kind of their thing. You know, you know they are slow in music, and they they slowly sort of evolve as a band they they try not to do anything that they're not they're, they're a very subtle band I think it's maybe a nicer way of putting what you're saying I know what, you're saying. I know what it is they don't over elaborate within the, the context of one song if something works for a song they'll do it and then they'll move on to another song yeah that's fine but I was feeling by the 6th or 7th track I was like oh this is a lot like the second track and like not just like because it's a quiet guitar song with you know nice vocals it was like the actual you know the the melody, the 
that sort of vocal riff was I don't know I don't know I just maybe, felt like they were using safe notes all the way through or maybe getting ahead of the game Mark what, what, what did you think um, are you new to this really? yeah completely new to this okay. I really enjoyed it uh, slowcore makes sense like there's no I wouldn't if I'd never heard this band without the word slowcore attached to it I wouldn't really have been able to describe what it is which is a daft thing to say because it's basically just kind of like indie music they're not, they're not keen on that label but it's definitely true it's it's slow and it does have elements of other corey stuff without not hardcore obviously <laughs> um. you try to stand so As a band, like they're, 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 I mean, this didn't come out until 2002, and they'd, they'd been about f- since I think '93. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd played noisier stuff prior to that, and they're kind of contrarians a wee bit. Alan Sparhawk, in particular, being like it's himself, his wife Mimi Parker, and then a bass player. It was predominantly a guy called Zach Sally, and I'll kind of put the case forward that I think that was kind of their best period as well. Nothing against the new guy, but. <clears throat> Um, but Alan, I think, is known as being a little bit. What's the word? I'm trying to a euphemism for awkward sometimes. <laughs> so they they got a reputation in their early days for going up and playing with bands that were from like almost noise rock scenes and bands that were sort of along the lines of like Juno 44 and Slint and stuff like that. But they would go up and they would be deliberately quiet. And if the crowd was frustrated and talking, they would turn down. And that's part of this awkward reputation they developed where they would challenge their audience by deliberately going the opposite way from other bands. Um, And weirdly, through that, they did develop something of a sound which was incredibly understated, incredibly slow. Mimi just had, I think at one point, originally she just had either a floor tom or a snare and a ride cymbal, and she played with brushes. And, you know, they were playing with quite loud bands in that scene at the time um, so yeah they they were always deliberately almost awkwardly making you crane your neck to listen to what they were saying kind of slow and quiet I would say even more so earlier on they, they got to this point and slightly prior when they started working with Albini um, and it's Secret Name I think it was the first album they did with him when they started working with him and then through Things We Lost in the Fire they started to kind of get a little bit more electrified well, they were they were an electric band, but they started to kind of. It was just a little bit more saturated, as he does. And then from this record, they really started to kind of bring in things like fuzz and distortion and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, the slowcore label stuck early on, and even though a lot of their later music has drifted away from that stuff, it's probably at times folky. I mean, I think Alan Sparhawks even commented about how he's done 10, 15, 20 minute wall of noise bits of music alongside a John Denver cover. Hmm. You know, as they've gone on, they've got a lot of stuff that's just jangly, folky rock. I mean, there's a song on this called La 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 Song. I actually really like that song. <laughs> I've got to say, I think it's the worst song on the album, <laughs> but it's also, like, incredibly twee <laughs> and just almost, like... I think it's almost, like, throwaway, I think, like, kind of cheesy, country, poppy, folky nonsense. So they have, kind of... Yeah, they're, they're quite a, a broad palette over the course of their career. I was really surprised by the the slowness of it. If that makes sense, like I, I like I wasn't expected to be. I wasn't expected. It, it starts to start. slow. It starts really slow. Yeah. With Amazing Grace. Yeah. Or yeah. That's how you sing Amazing Grace. Yeah. I, I mean, wasn't expecting it 
to be the kind of music I don't know I had a preconception it would just be like kind of like an indie band which is obviously not true I really appreciate the ways that songs would like unlike Weaver. <laughs> I really appreciate the way songs would like slowly evolve and the album does itself. Are you saying Weaver like, does evolve? not slowly evolve? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is true. <laughs> He's evolved very slowly <laughs> in the time of <laughs> But I, I pre like <coughs> well I can understand what like what Weaver means with this when he says that it was kinda of frustrating. I can totally get that, but maybe it's a different mindset when I was listening to it, I was like, you know what, I'm digging this, I'm digging the they're taking the time. They're exploring where these that this idea can go. Yeah, but that's an interesting point because much like those early gigs where they were turning down, they do almost antagonise you into going to their place to enjoy their music. You can't really just bang this on in between, you know, Weezer and Sebado or whatever. You know, mm. you, you're like, even if you are listening to indie rock, it's like no, you have to be, you have to get come to our place for this to make sense, and. Um, knowing Dave's normal playlists <laughs> and the way they jump about, there's a good chance that like this coming in out the cold would really like. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I'm. You make me sound like I'm some sort of like you mm. know I only listen to you know trance and then death metal or something. <laughs> like you know I I love minimalist stuff and I love you know like experimental like I I love listening to Philip Glass or you know or. <clears throat> Then go to Sun or something like that. We spoke about we spoke about Joanna Newsom, didn't we? And like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's very, very and, kind of similar in vibe. But maybe, uh, maybe it's just that this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe this is just too indie for me, and it's like trying to be extreme indie. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just it doesn't quite click. I mean, I, it sounds like I hate the album. I don't hate the album at all. I I enjoyed it, like. Um, Time is the Diamond, right? I was listening to it and I was like, oh, I mean, this sounds like it could be in the end of a perfect, like, indie movie. Like a sad indie movie soundtrack. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking hate sad indie movies. <laughs> I was like, this is one of my favourite songs, so maybe my life's a sad indie movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It was a, like, I really like that song. Like that played, and then it was like, okay, that's like if I was going to stick that onto the end of an indie movie, I, you know, that that's how I'd want to try and make my, my audience feel. You didn't know as much as as well, as well as being called slowcore. A lot of journalists call them sadcore. Well, yeah, I can <laughs> definitely see that. But like after Time is a Diamond, and then it was Tonight, and then it was The Lamb, and like I think it was at that point, I was like, there's not enough um, diversity in their melodies or something that I was just like oh they're going back to that really emotive thing and yeah that's a really powerful emotive thing that they're doing in their, in that chorus that, and I I'm very I fucking love re- repetitive music but it was more about just like oh it's that note again <laughs> <laughs> that note or they're, try, um, they're trying to emotionally you know wangle me into feeling a certain way and I'm like well I don't know about that it's interesting that different people take different things because actually um, one of the features of this album for me was more that they sort of tried to 
get out of being pigeonholed a bit on it. So the track mm-hmm. Canada, the second one, uh, with the bass riff and yeah. a lot of fuzz and the Zach, the bassist, really coming to the fore, um, that became like a really popular song live, you know, yeah. like for for the band. And just it became again another really recognisable track by the band. It's a, as you say, a very simple motif, just mm-hmm. just punched through constantly all the way. it's so different to the rest of the material it does provide variety and then again I think it's track 8 Last No Storm of the Year which genuinely is one of my favourite songs well, of, it, of all time it's like, a big relief though when yeah, you hear it so, but like I mean that's what it's supposed to do and that, again it's very saturated and almost like amateurishly recorded but yeah. on purpose the nights were so long, but we suffered the dark. They recorded this album themselves, but a guy called Chad Blake mixed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just mixed it, didn't do any of the, the engineering, but Chad Blake, he's done like Arctic Monkeys and U2 and all kinds of stuff like that, but it, this is obviously a while ago. I thought he did a great job in this because these songs could, for me, have merged into a bit of a, a mush, but I thought there was enough distinction in the production methods of the bulk of the album to really distinguish between them. But I have been listening to it for a lot longer. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a lot more attuned to the nuances of track to track. But I mean, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm very aware it's a very subtle record and I've maybe listened to it through, you know, five or six times over two weeks and then gone on to try and hear, you know, a couple more of their records. So it's it's not like... Weirdly, the, the album that came after this um, is called The Great Destroyer. Yeah. And that's almost an easier access point, as I was saying right back at the mm-hmm. start. It's a little bit more direct... I think there's probably a wee bit more variety in the songs. It's a really, really strong album. And actually, when when we were trying to consider doing a low album, that was I was kind of on the, the fence about that for a wee while. But I, th- I think this is a an overall more powerful record in that they're more insistent. It's more low because they're more insistent that you go and meet them on their terms. Whereas Great Destroyer kind of came to you a wee bit. It, it was a little bit... You don't think, though, that if we're trying to find maybe a defining record <coughs> of low, then maybe it's I Could Live in Hope or something like that that's like... Sort of well, ties not, up their sound more. No, but well, fact, first of, I don't think that's a particularly strong record in terms um, of. Well, funnily enough, that was my favourite one of the ones. Really, that I, that, to. I, I don't think material in that's just nearly as strong. I don't think that's get. Um, I, I liked how sort of stripped back it was, and I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's more it, of what I expected. It's from very Lone, them. I don't know. It's very them then. Yeah, but they're also, as I said, they then went on to do stuff that was a bit more folky and a bit more. Whimsical at times. Yeah, uh, some of the later stuff. I is hate whimsy. <laughs> I think that's that's what I've discovered. I just can't be doing with whimsy. He doesn't call you back anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, um, whimsy's done that to a lot of folks. Um, <laughs> but in the later stuff, they became a bit more whimsical. Their, their later albums are a lot patchier. They've they've got again some amazing tracks mm. on 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 their their later albums. There's an album called Come On, which is I think probably the standout album of their later stuff. But this album has little bits of both kind of eras, which I think is a truer depiction of the overall band. If we went too much towards Great Destroyer, it's a little bit too much later period. There's a little bit too much overproduction. Lower a band that have kind of, I think, struggled to find a balance with production. And again, when you're saying, why is this for me a definitive one? Um, early on, it's very stripped back, very simple, very clean, like tonally, tonally very yeah. clean. With this, this was the first time they really brought in the saturation and stuff. And I think Chad Blake gave them a level of reassurance to take those chances and it worked really, really well. We Great Destroyer, they did it again 
but I think some years listening to Great Destroyer I find it almost too compressed and, and, and a little bit sticky in, in, in places it's a bit weird sometimes with production they then through the run of later records tried to kind of recapture the bravery of those decisions they had an album called Drums and Guns the songwriting on Drums and Guns is amazing and the album for me is terrible because the the way they delivered the songs on the album did no justice to the songs live so there's one song in particular called Sandinista and they basically on the the record version pulled out almost all of the root notes like they pulled out almost all of these root chords that help add the the wistfulness to to Alan's vocal and it's Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful song when you see it live there are videos of it on YouTube and it's it's genuinely I think one of their better songs if not one of their best songs but on record, it's so boring. And that, that album, other than a song called, uh, I think, If You Need a Murderer, um, other than that song, few of the songs on that album work, mm-hmm. even though having seen them live on that tour and subsequently, that's a, a really well-written album. So they've 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 fought against production, trying not to be too boring, trying to be brave, sometimes just overdoing it, sometimes underdoing it. They've never quite found the balance of... Here's the beauty of the song. Let's not pull the guts out of the song, but let's also take a little bit of chance with it and not just deliver it flat like they tended to do. I think in their earlier stuff. Yeah. And you know Steve Albini. Steve Albini's an engineer. He says this quite readily. He records what he hears. Mm-hmm. He isn't there to start adding and layering and really processing things. I don't think Steve Albini, had he done this album, could have made, for example, the song John Prine mm. as totally bleak and ominous as it is because it's. There's some very simple songwriting, but it's ghostly, it's yeah. really haunting. There's a lot of atmospherics in it. There's a lot of like space. There's a lot of attention to the reverb. There's things like bells that have been added into the production that just give an. It's it's really doomy at points without any of the heavy, heavy, heavy distortion of doom. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's bleak at points, yet fragile. <laughs> So it's for me, it captures so many ingredients. This band and they have amazing stuff on other albums. <coughs> this, this, the the way you're talking kind of reminds me of the way we talked about Mogwai. Maybe yeah. And that yeah, yeah. trying to find that album. That I have to say, find them. Analogy overall. wise, the Great Destroyer <coughs> is probably more analogous to Mr. Beast because yeah. Mr. Beast was more more produced and and a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. You know, more brief and succinct, and it's probably more analogous with this. This is. Yeah, this is a little bit rougher. Mm-hmm. This is that little bit edgier and a little bit rawer in places. But it's another band that has multiple albums. Yeah, a lot of fans that could get stuck into any album. A lot of them enjoy the first album they hear. Yeah, I think like you're right. That's an interesting point. It, you're right. Probably most people I do know that like low tend to favour, if not the album that they heard first, certainly the period they heard first, because yeah. they do have distinct periods of their career. And I think there's probably a few friends with Stephen Cosser, mm-hmm. big audio file and he's probably screaming at this podcast <laughs> right now because we're not talking about Secret Name um, or even earlier. So yeah, there, there probably is an element of truth to that but I, I do think the three albums that came in this period were Alan, Mimi and Zach Things We Lost in the Fire, Then Trust Then The Great Destroyer. For me that was a, their, their, yeah. their peak thus far anyway and they have had some amazing music prior to that and some beautiful songs since but they've not quite found that consistency and that balance between the songwriting and the way it comes across on the record. They're, they're a terrific band live, like a yeah. really terrific band live. And they do 
make you go to them live as well, which is which is good. It's kind yeah. of challenging in a really inverted way. Mm-hmm. Curiously enough, being being from Glasgow, I believe we still have the the kind of dubious privilege of being the only city in which uh, a fist fight has broken out in the crowd <laughs> at a low concert. <laughs> at a low concert. Excellent. <laughs> they played it. Uh, they played it Oran Moore, and it was a fantastic show. I think I think it was a Drums and Guns tour actually. And I was actually about two metres away from this It was just two guys standing I think the guy at the back was just standing too close to the guy in front And the guy in front was like You know, hey mate, you want to back off <laughs> And the guy, I don't know what was happening here. I don't know if the guy in, behind them was like I can't go back And then the guy in front just took exception They started fighting And the band were just right. completely bemused I mean, They've kind of got quite a dry sense of humour When yeah. it really comes to it though They're seen as being very po-faced But I don't know, some of, some of the some of the in jokes and some of the stuff they've they've got a pretty dry sense of humour, uh, kind of threaded through their work. But yeah, that was I think even for them that was pretty surreal. Mm-hmm. But another problem they tend to have as well is playing in multiple venues. That they they did a famous festival years ago. I'm trying to remember what one it was. They've done a lot of like ATPs and stuff like that, but they were booked at the same time as a metal band, and like nobody could hear anything that mm-hmm. they were doing. And I I saw them in a similar situation in Glasgow at the Classic Grand. When there was a, yeah. a small venue downstairs, there was a metal band, a lower plane upstairs, <laughs> and the, the band were livid, like yeah. livid, because you know you, you, yeah. you need to know what you're booking, you need to yeah, kind of definitely. pay attention to the fact that yeah. this band don't need double kick blast beats coming through <laughs> underneath that kind of stuff. Yeah, but even then, that's kind of I don't know that suits them. The fact that they will get annoyed by that sometimes yeah. ties into the it, lore of low. It adds to the sense that sometimes when you watch low, you feel like you're getting a row. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, the, the kind of religiosity of it is, yeah. is a part of that as well. I mean, the band that like Alan and Mimi are, are Mormons. I don't know if Zach Sally was a Mormon. He might have been. I think they talk about that. There's a pretty good tour documentary called Low in Europe. And they talk about that. But there's a quasi religiosity to probably the bulk of their material and sometimes a quite explicit one, especially they did a Christmas album that mm-hmm. was bizarrely one of their most widely known, I think, because one of the songs was, I think, the Little Drummer Boy was in a Gap advert. Yeah, which yeah. Is, Always a massive eye roll. <laughs> it's like my three all-time heroes: Henry Rollins, Low, and Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean they've they've got that religious uh, vein through the majority of their stuff. You know, like Lion and Lamb, The mm. Lamb, uh, Amazing Grace. I mean, any album you can pick out, usually half a dozen songs that either make a covert or overt reference to some sort of biblical reference. Yeah. Put you off the band, then, no? In, in a weird way, it makes some of the stuff for somebody of beliefs such as myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a little bit unrelatable. But I think I, I don't think I'm alone in that. There's a certain kind of perverse mysticism in reading and learning and observing certain beliefs. I mean, I, I don't attach any. Yeah, it's always interesting. Yeah, I don't attach really any value to them. Yeah. But um, it, it is fascinating to see them. Sincerely relayed in a way that is meaningful on the ba- on the part of the person that's relaying them. Yep. And much as the Norse gods or the gods of Rome are interesting, so are the current Judeo-Christian gods as well. And so one day shall be Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean the religious <coughs> aspect to it is, and it's distinct. I mean, low are. I mean, it's usually in the first paragraph of most articles. You know, the Mormon band low. 
Norman Vandaloo, yeah, yeah. Um, like the killers. Aye, aye, <laughs> the two of them. Should go into it together. Eh? <laughs> That'd be good. Could be transmit. Stick on the main stage before killers. <laughs> How um, raging would the people be? This band are so quiet. I don't think that guy Flowers would be too raging. No, he's got a decent taste of music, actually. Does he? Just writes shit music. That's funny. Just <laughs> 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 not sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Brandon Flowers. That's what it is. Eh? Yep. Yeah, I shouldn't know that. <laughs> you completely not. wasted. The first album's a better though, actually. <laughs> is it? The first Killers album's a great album. There you go, man. I must have listened to a different one. Yes, it's but, um, <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting you mention the religious thing because you get bands that are religious bands and religion's very much the forefront, but you get bands that are also religious. But and their mention's been religious. Yeah, but they never really come it's across. Not. They still come. They still kind of come across as being quite secular, almost. If, if that makes sense in the presentation. Are you talking? About, is it Pod? P.O.D. P.O.D. No, Punishable on death. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we always end up talking about new metal? Because you, I, I didn't bring it up. Because you're here. I, t- I was actually thinking more about As I Die. <laughs> oh yeah. Who are a Christian metal band? Yep. Before he went mental and took all the steroids and tried to get his wife assassinated. Did he do a bad <laughs> thing? Is this a true story? Yeah, man. So uh, he's, he's a massive, <laughs> massive bodybuilder, dude. And he, he went mental. And he, Is this the vocalist? Yeah, he went online and tried to get somebody to assassinate his wife. But then, oh yeah, on the dark web. Yeah, and then he went I to jail. Did read that? Uh, uh, now he's in jail. I was just I thinking, like, Chris Benoit, pure ghost roided. hammer, roided <laughs> brain of an eighty-four-year-old. Chris, Chris, Parkinson's <laughs> patient. Sorry, um, not you, that Chris. Chris, Chris. Just, <laughs> pretty much any Chris. It's, it's a toss of coin. It's good news or bad news. But um, you know what I mean? Though, like, there's a difference between like being a religious band in a religious way and like a sort of secular approach to music. If that makes sense. Yeah, Do you know what I, mean? I mean these guys are comfortable integrating it into their actual product as well. Mm. You know, it's not just you know something that gets mentioned by the by. You know, it's, it's something that they're. It actually plays a role within the music itself because they also you you picked out time as a diamond, which is quite a gospely song for them. Yeah, and they have a lot of stuff that is quite gospely, especially because of the the harmonised vocal thing that Alan and Mimi have become very well known for, which is really I think really really strong feature of their music anyway. Um, and his kind of bluesy sensibilities. He's got he's got a couple of solo projects and other stuff. He's got I think what is it Retribution Gospel Choir is his side project. And that, I think, if you're playing that sort of music at a slow pace, you know, blues music, slowly played, tends to quite quickly become quite gospel in its feel anyway. Yeah. And the, having a religious flavour to that is, seems like a logical combination anyway. There's a lot of other facets to their sound as well that that, that meld well, like the ghostliness of it, the, the kind of ethereal nature of it, the sparseness of it. Yeah, there's a lot of space in there. Yeah, and which is nice. There, but I think also that that kind of adds to that sort of like semi kind of the prayer psalm type vibe that some of the things they they do conjure. You know, it's I don't know whether they do it on purpose or not, but it just seems to have been something that's evolved quite naturally within within the material. It's not overbearing, I don't think. There's very, very few times in the records where they'll sing something so tediously religious that you're just like, right, come on, that's yeah. a bit much. I mean, even I mean, the song Lion and Lamb, uh, Lion and Lamb, Lion and Lamb, which is a really beautiful song, 
lyrically I thought that would be one that would expect to maybe be a bit alienated by but again it's a phenomenal song it was certainly the sense of space that I really enjoyed about it like I'll because I'm a punk guy it's always like when I see a record that's over like 40 minutes long I start to panic (laughs) 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 this is an hour and four minutes and it does feel like it but in a good way I I never felt as though I was like can this just end please I never felt like that I was like fuck I want to see where this goes but see just going back to something you said earlier as much as you know slowcore lowcore they've come and depicted probably the best it's not their invention Mm. necessarily Um, there's a lot of bands that came before them there was bands in the 80s there was a band called Bedhead Uh, there was Codeine who were like 89 through to the very early 90s who have got some amazing stuff like really really good stuff and a record called Barely Real especially which is just wonderful Um, and those were bands that before Low were really like very much of that sort of scene uh, that we mentioned earlier on the kind of June of 44 thing but were really testing people's limits with a with the space and the, mm-hmm. the the pace of the songs that they, they were playing. Um, and there's a band, there are other bands like American Music Club and, and Galaxy 500. Is a, there are another couple of bands from even earlier that are mentioned as being influences on Low as well, who I'm not overly familiar with. Um, but I, I certainly, what Low took from them, I like what they've done with it. I, can, I find it much more enjoyable. Um, so that, that, that kind of, as much as they deserve credit, for really making that sound their own it isn't just their sound there are some very very good purveyors of it Aye, both yeah. bef- before and since mm-hmm. but yeah certainly in that period around the early 90s especially so do we think this goes into the discography then? yeah I mean for me it's a it's a total no-brainer there's too many amazing songs in it I mean I think like, Amazing Grace uh, Times of Diamond Canada John Prine Last No Storm of the Year uh uh, point of disgust, by the way, did you guys? The one where Mimi's singing yeah, along yeah. the piano. Yeah, yeah. so really fragile, nice. so beautiful that song. That I mean, those <laughs> those songs are to have all those songs on the one record. As good as some of those other scattered material is, uh, and as good as Great Destroyer and Things You Lost in the Fire are, there for me there's nothing else that quite has that sort of like lineup on in the one place. And it's produced as well as it is. I think Chad Blake's a lot to do with how this band sort of blossomed on this record. Um and I hope I hope they get to this sort of level again. They've not yeah. in a while. But um they seem like they have the potential to. They're still going strong, um, even with a slightly tweaked lineup. I'm going to use a very weird analogy. Well, it made me feel the same way as when I went to watch Blade Runner 2049. I and I don't know why. I went to see it on my own, and I like really fucking love first Blade Runner. Went to see this, and I heard good things about it, and it was beautiful. Objectively, it was an exceptionally made film. The cinematography is incredible, and it kind of did thing everything that I wanted it to do. You know, it didn't sort of play up on, you know, genre tropes and stuff like that. But when I left, I just felt really sad and kind of empty. <laughs> and I don't know why. It just didn't emotionally fulfil me somehow. Or I I was just like, that was a good film, but I don't know if I loved it. I have a weird feeling. I honestly have a weird feeling. And I've known you well. I think in a few years' time, for whatever reason, this, this album's going to be nagging in the back of your mind. Yeah, I mean... 
right now, and I'm very happy that a low record goes in. I don't know if this is the low record, and I can't say if it is because I don't yeah. know enough about them. I really, yeah, I, I enjoyed a couple other low records that I was listening to through this. I can see why this one means a lot to a lot of people. I'm happy if it goes in. I'm happy if somebody... So if, we to, if we end up talking about a different low record, then that would be great as well. I think as well, this, this album kind of gave them a little bit of a break. They did the Radiohead tour after yeah. after this album, which I think today is still their kind of high watermark in terms of, you know, public reach. They've never quite broken through. He's, like Sparhawk said, that they're blatantly just not a major label band. Yeah. Um, but this also, I think, even just in terms of numbers, I think represents a point in their career where they were really reaching uh, a far bigger audience. Yeah. Well, I think we're maybe decided that it should go in then, I suppose. <laughs> I'm stoked, which is not <laughs> something you can often say after listening to a low album. <laughs> but it's not up to us, is it? But it's not up to us. It's up to you guys to <laughs> go on our Facebook page and vote and prove us right or wrong. I don't, um, I don't care what you say, it'll always be in... It'll always be in Chris's be always be in my personal discography. And Chris, Alan Sparhawk Chris taught Griffey. me I can be as disagreeable as I want. <laughs> and quiet about it. Yeah. You still pull faces, you just can't appreciate that right now. Exactly. But yeah, go and vote on our Facebook page. And if you've got a second, give us a rating and review on iTunes because that means iTunes pay attention to us, which is good. Also, what's coming up next week? We're going to stick with soft, understated and go with The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails, I believe. It's a good choice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much. 